Well, as you're being seated, we'll release the kids through the fourth grade into the classes that are ready for them as we turn in our copies of God's Word to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, and we'll be looking as a, as a group together here at this unbelievable truth in God's Word. We're continuing and actually concluding our summer of encouragement. We're here at the end of the summer, and uh, yeah, I know, kind of a drag, huh? But that's okay. We're going to go into a fall of encouragement, so we're going to just keep encouraging each other. How does that sound? And it's been fun. I've talked to a lot of people who have been able to use this conversation in in each other's lives and say, wait a minute, this is a summer of encouragement, and so how can we encourage each other to do the things that God's calling us to do? So we've been taking a look at this amazing little letter to Titus. And, uh, and as we started in this a couple of weeks ago, we looked at, at Paul writing this as a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, a faith and a knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. So as we've looked at our songs today in the communion, we've been taking a look at this wonderful truth that God has sent Christ to be our Savior and that he will send him again one day. And so Paul's saying, I'm writing this to you so that you can help the people who have faith in God grow in their knowledge of who he is and the truth of what he stands for so they can live godly lives. And then we looked at how he then said, that means that we need to be a a church that's living as the light. And in order for us to be the church living as the light, each one of us needs to be living as the light. And so as we look at that, to be a light living church means we need to have light living leaders. We looked at that. And we looked at the, the truth that, that those that Christ have called ha- are actually pure. Remember, we looked at the ivory soap, and we're actually pure in Christ. And so the idea that if we're pure, we'll be able to expose the false teachers that are among us. And then last week, we looked at the truth that Titus was called to teach what was in accord with sound doctrine. And that was to help us understand that if we're going to live as the light, we need to have character and conduct that is pure. And so we looked at all of that, and we looked at last week, remember the importance we looked at, and it's not what we do, it's who we are. All the different places in there where it said to be. We are to be uh, self-controlled, and to be subject to masters, to be kind, to be reverent, and all of these things. And so we looked at that last week. This week we're stepping in to what's the very heart of this letter. These few verses we're looking at, this paragraph is actually the heart of this letter. And in many ways, it's the heart of what we believe. And so as we look at this, we're able to see what does it mean to be on this bridge of salvation. Now our big idea for today is that, that um, live, light living people are eager to do what is good. What that means is we are intensely zealous to do what is good, all right? And, and so if we're living as the light, we're just intensely zealous of, of living godly lives and doing what's good, amen? So let's look at the text, Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. It's there in your bulletin if you didn't bring a copy. For the grace of God that brings salvation 
has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. See where we get the big idea? These, then, are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. God, thank you for this word. Thank you for for preserving it for us. Thank you that you allow us to look at this together today. Lord, I pray that you'd speak through your word into each of our lives so that we can walk away from here changed because we've been impacted by the truth of your word. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Our passage today begins with the word for. And whenever you begin a passage with the word for, you need to look back a little bit because it actually is leading from what we read before. And it said the last couple of verses before that was to teach slaves to be subject to their masters and everything, to try and please them, not to talk back to them, not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way, They will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. See, there's the key. We're living as the light in a world that's filled with darkness so that we can make the teaching of the gospel attractive. That's our heart and that's our desire. For, Paul goes on to say, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Now, a better way of translating that would be to say that grace from God has appeared bringing salvation to all men. The grace has appeared that brings the possibility of salvation to all men. And so we have in your notes there a diagram. And it's talking about the bridge of salvation. Now the bridge of salvation is this wonderful thing that we'll look at today. Because sometimes in scripture when we read the word salvation, it can mean different things. Right, so we look at it, and sometimes it can be confusing if we don't understand that it has some different meanings. So we're going to unpack those today. The first thing we're going to look at is this idea of justification. All right, Isn't this great? We're going to be looking at five-syllable words today. And your challenge will be to find ways to use this in normal uh, conversation during the week. Try to use each one of these five-syllable words in your day-to-day conversation throughout the week, okay? Justification, all right? Now, everybody's thinking of a way they can use this. Let me help explain it to you first so that you can use it correctly, all right? Because there's nothing worse than using a big word incorrectly, is there? Unless it's so big that nobody knows what it means. But, But here we go, justification. And so sometimes in Scripture, and the way that I've heard this explained, that has helped me with it is that that when we think of the word salvation in scripture it's kind of like a file drawer and if we open the file drawer there's different file folders in that drawer today we're looking at three of those and the first one is justification so sometimes when scripture says we have been saved or it talks about salvation it's speaking about justification Now, justification, and we've talked about this many times, but it's God's grace redeeming me. It's the redemption of my soul that comes 
through God's grace. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast, okay? So it's the faith that comes. And remember how Paul starts this letter. He's an apostle of Christ for the faith of God's elect. So even the faith comes from God. It's his grace. And it's what's happened in the past. And what it is, is it's us being declared righteous, okay? It's set apart for God. So what happens is, as we talked about with a picture with the chains, as that moment in time where you trust Christ as your Savior, you are now justified. It's, it's an amazing thing when you think about it, because what it means is God declares you as being absolutely righteous, it's like, wow, think about this. Really, what that means is that means no matter what you've done, and each one of us have done terrible things, all right? That's, every sin is a terrible thing, and we've all done those things. But because I've trusted Christ as my Savior, I've asked God to forgive me, I've repented. What's happened is God has taken my sin and credited that to Jesus' account. And he took the righteousness of Jesus and he credited that to my account. So he sees me as righteous. He sees me just as if I had never sinned. All the stuff that I've done in the past is gone because God has declared that he sees me as righteous. Amen. And what that means is that I am free from the penalty of sin. I am free from the penalty of sin because the penalty of sin, the wages of sin, is eternal separation from God. That's what I've earned. But I am free from that penalty. And that's what's happened in the past. And that is the first advent of Jesus Christ, the first appearing of Jesus Christ. In our verse it says, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared. That's the appearance of Christ, the grace. His first appearing was in grace. It was to bring the grace that would allow us to not get what we deserve. Justified. And so once you've come to a point where you've trusted in Christ as your Savior, you become justified. Now verse 14, it tells us this. If you see it there in the text who gave himself for us to redeem us from all unwickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own. You see, when we're redeemed, he redeems us from wickedness and he redeems us and calls us his very own. At the moment in time when I'm justified, when, when I have a right standing before God, he redeems me, he buys me back, he purchases me and calls me his very own. In Deuteronomy 26, 18, God, when he's speaking through Moses to the Jews, he says, you are my treasured possession. And see, that's the idea that we get here. It's this idea that we are his very own. At the moment that you are justified, you become the treasured possession of God. You're his very own. Ephesians 2.10 
For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he, cre- which he prepared in advance for us to do. You are God's workmanship. Elaine, it's like your drawings, your, your paintings. They're your workmanship. They, they flow from your, from your heart and from your mind, and, and that's what we are. We are God's paintings. We are his masterpieces. He has written his name on our hearts, and we are his treasured possession. So then we enter into this next step on this bridge of salvation, and that is sanctification. Sanctification, that's the process that we're on where we, whereby we become more and more like Jesus Christ. We walk more and more in the fullness of who we are. And this happens in the same way as justification. It's, it's by the grace of God. See, we don't deserve to be able to walk this way, but by the grace of God. You see right there in verse 12, it teaches us. The grace of God teaches us. What does it teach us? It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. You see, the grace of God, not, it doesn't just leave us here. Once we step onto this bridge of salvation, and once we begin to move forward into this period of time where we walk until the moment in time when Christ calls us back to home to be with him, this whole process from the time we trust Christ as our Savior until the time we die is a period of sanctification becoming more and more like Christ. And what that involves, first and foremost, is saying no to the things that held me in the past. Because you see, Jesus did not save me from sin so that I can sin. Jesus saved me from sin so that I can not sin. See, he saved me so that I don't sin. He saved me and gave me the grace and gave me the power to say no to ungodly things, to those things. And see, what happens, the thing that makes this so hard, before I came into the ministry, I was a kitchen designer. And, and years ago, back when Radio Shack sold Tandy computers, okay? Remember those days, all right? And I got a 345 with a math coprocessor, okay? It cost $4,500. And it had less capacity than my phone has, okay? And... I got this computer because I wanted to learn how to design kitchens on the computer because I could see that the computer age was coming, all right? Yeah. <laughs> Should have bought stock in Tandy. Uh, maybe not, okay. So anyway, uh, so I get this design program and I teach myself how to use this design program and started doing these kitchen designs and everybody was impressed because I would bring out computer designs when nobody else was doing them, and they were like, wow, this is really cool. I go, I know. You know and so, <laughs> like four or five years later, it's time to get a new program, because the program that was out originally wasn't what I needed it to be. So I'm like, no problem. I taught myself one program, I'll just teach myself another one. So I get the new program, take it out of the box, load it in the computer, and I'm having nothing but trouble learning this new program. Because it's got nothing that seems the same as what the other one is. Like, how in the world does this happen? Fortunately, as God would have it, at the time, 
I was doing work for a neuroscientist, okay? <laughs> Just happens to have a home in Delavan, right? Yeah. I was like, okay, so let's, let's talk with her about this because, you know, maybe she'll be able to help me. So I, I told her, I said, how come I'm having such a hard time with this? And she said, well, here's the deal. See, before, when you learned the first program, it was no problem. You had a blank slate, so you were able to just learn it. But now, you're trying to learn something new, which means you have to unlearn what you learned before, before you can begin to learn what's new. All right? You catch the analogy here? See, once we get on the bridge of salvation, all of a sudden, I have to unlearn this stuff. Because this sin and all the things that held me in bondage and held me in the chains, all of those things, that became my learned behavior. I thought sin was fine. I thought it was normal. I thought it was okay. I thought that's what everybody does, so why not do it? But then the, the minute that Jesus came, I became a new creation. The old is gone. News come. See, my old standing was gone. I'm no longer in Adam. I'm no longer bound in sin. I'm bound in the righteousness of Christ. So what do we say? Do we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. Why would we live in that any longer? See, so we, we set aside, we say no. We unlearn how to be rude. We unlearn how to be selfish. We unlearn how to be unkind. We unlearn how those things. We unlearn those things, and we learn instead what is godly. So we say no to the worldly passions. We say no to ungodliness, and we begin to say yes. And we say yes to self-control. Paul tells us in our text. We say yes to self-control. See, that's a, that's a right relationship within ourselves. By the power of the Spirit, we begin to control our desires. And then we live upright lives. That's right relationships with each other. As, as we live upright in the world. And then we live godly lives. That's right relationships with the Lord. See, we begin to, to live lives that are just exemplified by the work of God in our hearts and in our lives. See, and this isn't so much about what we do. See, man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. Amen. See, God's looking at our heart. See, so many times we, we judge things based on what the actions are. Okay, we, you know, as parents, I talk to parents, and when I talk to them, I say, listen, I know how it is when you're a parent, everybody's judging your kids on how they behave. And if you're a good parent, your kids are acting good. And if you're a bad parent, your kids are acting bad. See, that's not it. You, you've been charged to parent your child's heart. See, you, you've been charged to parent your child's heart. And listen, it's about our heart. And our heart's been changed. We have a new heart if we're in Christ. And our new heart guides our actions. And we begin to say no to those things and yes. Now Paul talks about this in different ways throughout scripture. He says you need to put to death the old and put on life, Romans. He says you need to put aside the works of the flesh and put on the works of the spirit in Galatians. He says you need to put off the old and put on the new like a garment every day in Colossians. It's an idea that Peter talks about in 1 Peter 4. He says therefore... Since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. See, we need the same attitude of Christ. Because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. Don't you love that? 
You ever want to just say, I'm done with sin? Okay, so somebody pulls out in front of you in traffic and you got a choice. And you say, I'm done with sin. God bless you for pulling out in front of me. I praise God for you that you were there. Amen? All right, let's be blessing these people. They need Jesus. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for human evil desires, but rather for the will of God. Listen, you've spent enough time in the past doing what the pagans choose to do. You've had your fill of that. Whatever amount you've done in the past, it's enough. And now we live differently because we're children of the light and we're radiating the light in the life of Christ. Sanctification. It's freedom from the power and the love of sin. See, we're free from the penalty. That's past. That's done. That can never change. That can never change because it's Jesus who has reached down and saved you and holds you, and that can never change. You are, you are justified. God sees you that way. But then we have the process where we are being saved. And during that process, we are free from the power of sin. We can choose not to sin. Before Christ, we can't. Finally, in this bridge of sanctification is that moment in time that we're all looking forward to, glorification. Glorification is that moment in time when our bodies, God's grace, resurrecting me. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live and not die. Do you believe this? Yeah, that's what Martha said. She said, yeah, I believe you're the Christ, the son of the living God. To glorification, that's the hope our text tells us. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, one day he's coming, oh glorious day. And at that moment in time, we will have freedom from the presence of sin. Because at that moment in time, our redeemed souls, which happened at justification, will be brought into a redeemed body. There will be a trumpet blast to end all trumpet blasts that sounds from heaven. And at that moment in time, Jesus will meet those who are dead in the air. They will rise up and out of their graves and be given new bodies. Amen. Hallelujah. And they will be given new bodies and their redeemed bodies. Amen. Dennis will be restored with their renewed soul and they will live forever. And those of us who are alive at that moment in time will meet them in the air and we will go and be free from the presence of sin forever. We cannot even begin to grasp what this means. We cannot even begin to grasp what it means to be free from the presence of sin. There's not one moment in my life that's not impacted by sin. Not one. I can't close my eyes for a moment and not be impacted by the presence of sin either in my own heart or one of yours. Or just the lingering effects in the world. But one day when I see my Jesus, I will be free from the presence of sin. And that is the glorious hope that we have of the glorious appearing of our Lord and God, God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's the hope that holds us as we walk across this bridge of salvation. 
The first advent, the advent of grace. The second advent, the advent of glory. As Jesus comes in all his glory, in his first, in his first appearing, he came veiled. He came veiled, Philippians chapter 2 tells us. That, that he emptied himself. He veiled himself of his glory because if we beheld his glory, we'd be... <clears throat> but one day he's coming back in all of his glory and the whole world will know and understand that Jesus Christ is Lord and he is king and he is sovereign and he's over everything and peace will reign forever. So we live, why? Amen. So we live wanting to make this teaching attractive. This teaching that Jesus Christ took on flesh, God took on flesh, came and lived, lived a perfect life, died the penalty, died the death that paid the penalty our sins deserved. He was buried, he rose again on the third day, and then he ascended to be at the right hand of God the Father. One day he will return, that's the gospel. That's the message we have that's attractive. I read that 86% of Christians will never lead someone to the Lord. You know the gospel. I just shared it with you. We know this. We need to make this attractive. That's what it means to live as the light. We walk saying no to ungodliness. We walk saying no to worldly passions. And as we walk, people go, there's something about you that's attractive. And you say, I know, it's Jesus. And could I tell you about him? He died and he rescued me. He ransomed me, he redeemed me, and my chains are gone. I've been set free. And we walk and we live in such a way that we radiate the love and the truth of Christ. Paul tells Titus, These then are the things you should teach. I've just taught you these things. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. And do not let anybody despise you. Listen, as we wrap up this summer of encouragement, I'm encouraging you. Take this paragraph. Take this bridge. Consider the truth while we wait for glorification. We're walking through this wonderful time of sanctification, willingly saying no because we are the treasured possession of God. We are his masterpiece and we radiate his love into a world that desperately needs it. Amen? We serve an amazing king. Gabe and the team are coming up. We're going to sing about this amazing love of this king who would die for us. I asked Anissa, and I asked her ahead of time, because I love the signing of this song. And so she's going to stand up here, and she's going to sign the song for us as well. And the power that comes from seeing it in the language of our dear deaf friends. So, Gabe. Okay. 